2: yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com com.
3: Roswell in the 21st Century is a detailed re-examination of the Roswell UFO crash case. I have studied the evidence for more than 30 years, and I now put that evidence under a microscope in a cold case examination of the facts. These facts might not please everyone. They are based on my comprehensive investigation that took years to complete, but they do lead to the conclusion that whatever fell was not built on earth. The best of Project Blue Book is based on the 22-year-long investigation conducted by the Air Force. But the book goes far beyond that, bringing in evidence that was uncovered long after Project Blue Book was ordered terminated. Using facts that were unavailable to the Air Force investigators, I was able to prove that the Air Force manipulated the data and drew unrealistic conclusions about the UFO sightings reported to them. My different perspective shows there was more to Project Blue Book than even the Air Force knew. Both books are available at Amazon.com.
4: Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404-474-0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 404-
0: Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiaka, bringing together today's leading experts to uncover ever-deepening spiritual truths and the latest scientific developments in support of the evolution of humankind. For more information on Mission Evolution Radio with Gwilda Wiecka, visit www.missionevolution.org. And now, here's the host of Mission Evolution, Miss Gwilda Wiecka.
1: Hello, my visionary friends, and thank you for joining me, Gwilda Wiecka, on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading esoteric and scientific experts, supporting the co-creation of a better tomorrow. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour, we'll be discussing a topic on everyone's mind, surviving COVID-19. One medical doctor's experience. Does anyone feel like they're living in the twilight zone or an apocalyptic movie? Here we are in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Streets are deserted, ships stranded, people restricted to their homes, everyone wearing masks, and no end in sight. Many of us are wondering how much longer we'll be isolated. Weeks? Months? Years? Are we overreacting? Underreacting? There's little to no real information about what we're facing in the long term or the psychological impact we're suffering as a result. With us this hour to share his experience as a survivor of the coronavirus is Dr. David Hanscom. Dr. Hanscom is an orthopedic surgeon focused on helping people go pain-free without surgery or medication. He's the author of Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? and Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. Dr. Hanscom tested positive for uh, COVID-19 last month, and he's here to discuss the illness and resulting isolation, not only from a physician's perspective, but from that of a survivor. His website, backincontrol.com. Dr. Hanscom, on behalf of our listeners and myself, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution.
5: Thank you. I always enjoy working with you.
1: It's wonderful having you back on the show. So first, congratulations on your recovery from the uh, coronavirus. I'm so Thank glad you. you made it, you know. I'm glad you're with us. It. Yeah, no, it's
5: been an interesting experience.
1: Well, you tested positive for corona. What were your symptoms that made you think you might have the virus to go in to get tested?
5: Well, first of all, being a physician, I was in total denial. So it was my wife that hauled me off to the doctor. So I just thought I had the flu, and I had been feeling. I actually worked out Tuesday morning at the gym with my trainer very hard, felt great. And then about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, all of a sudden I started feeling stri- incredibly weak and tired. Then I had a lot of muscle aching, like I had a, had a very high fever, but I didn't really have a fever. And so it was mostly the fatigue and the muscle aching and just a little bit of runny nose and respiratory symptoms. And that was it. Then back then, it was pretty early on in the California epidemic. So I was not keen on getting tested and I had been traveling. I traveled to New York, Utah, San Francisco, but at that point in time, even New York wasn't considered particularly high risk. It was about two days later that it exploded, and so I probably picked it up at the airport. Um, is my best guess. I wasn't really around a lot of people in, in any of those places, and nobody I was with got sick later. And I wasn't really thinking I had the virus. And just statistically, there's 30 million people in California. There's like 500 cases, and going whatever. But my wife started um, pushing me to get it done. And uh, again, I just thought I had the flu. It was pretty non-specific symptoms. But the disconnect was we saw Tom Hanks' symptoms on TV where he had a lot of muscle aching, fatigue, but no fever. We're going, hmm. Anyway, so my wife called the doctor, and somehow I was one of the lucky ones to get tested. We drove to San Francisco the next day. I went into a building that looked like it was a ghost town, just locked down and... Only one person went in at a time. Everybody, of course, was gowned and gloved and masked, et cetera. So it only took about three minutes to take the two nasal swabs. The flu swab came back in half an hour. That was negative, which was worrisome. Then the coronavirus at that point took six days to get back. So I was, of course, in isolation until that happened. And then I tested positive, which was a shock. And initially, I was pretty upset about it. I go, you know, whatever. And, of course, I knew at that point in time that Some of the worst severe symptoms occur at about a week into the process, and long story short, I was fatigued and muscle aches for about four days, and then I started getting my strength back, and I've been really completely symptom-free for about two and a half weeks. I've been just fine. So, in the big picture was not nearly as bad as the flu. Well,
1: you know, yours is one of the mildest cases I've heard of. Do you have any speculation as to why? Well, what
5: happens you know i've written this book called back in control a surgeon's room about a chronic pain and we've always taught that anxiety is psychological correct yeah Mm -hmm. okay it's actually just the sensation generated by elevated stress chemicals like adrenaline cortisol histamine cytokines and those are drugs in the acute phase are extremely valuable to fight off infection and different diseases and stuff but chronically it markedly compromises your immune system So anxiety is just the sensation generated by elevated stress chemicals. It's a physiological issue, not a psychological one. So the entire process of healing from chronic pain turns out that the mental pain is a bigger problem than physical pain. Turns out anxiety is not just a psychological issue. In fact, it's really not psychological at all. It's just this response to the environment that says danger. The problem is what we consider normal, quote, psychological issues actually compromises the immune system. And so, the way you decrease anxiety is since the unconscious brain is so powerful compared to the conscious brain, you can't control it. If you didn't have anxiety, you wouldn't survive. So, you're not going to get rid of this thing. It's intended to be so unpleasant that it compels you to take action to survive. So, it's never going to be a positive thing. So, there's a whole set of strategies that allow you to separate from the reaction and then literally calm down the stress chemicals. As you calm down the stress chemicals, the sensation of anxiety drops. But, as importantly, or maybe more importantly now is that your immune system, your body chemistry, is better, and you function better.
1: So you know let, I mean? let, let's back up just a little bit, um, Dr. Hanscom. So are you connecting your mild case with your ability to deal with um with stress that you've you've learned through your um, dealing with chronic pain? Well, I mean, I'm
5: one case, and I'm a scientist, I'm a physician. So I'm not going to say my one case proves my point, but I am sixty seven. I'm um, pretty healthy in general. I've got some cardiac issues, but nothing bad. I've got some mild lung issues, but nothing severe, serious. But again, those are risk factors for a poor outcome because a virus attacks, these enzymes are connected with these enzymes that actually control blood pressure and heart issues. That's why heart disease is such a risk factor for bad outcomes. So I'm somebody who's not at low risk by any means, and my symptoms are pretty mild. And again, there's a bunch of tools that simply allow you to lower your stress chemicals and the way you know you've lowered your stress chemicals is that the sensation of anxiety drops. And so then, you, went
1: into, you went into anxiety when you first uh, found out that you were tested positive, is that correct?
5: Well, again, I use the tools relatively quickly. So if I took two hours and explained the stresses in my life the last five years, you would just blow your mind. It's unbelievable. Okay. And people think you know stress is the problem. It's not the stress. It's the chemical reaction to the stress. So it's a chemical reaction that creates this uncomfortable sensation. And, you know, plus people forget, they talk about stress management being an issue. Well, guess what? It doesn't work because the stress that's the most stressful, and this has been proven in multiple research papers, the stress that's the most damaging is the stress that you can't control, right? So most, so the stresses that really tie us down, like for instance, let's take chronic pain. Let's take the coronavirus epidemic. You can't control it. There's nothing you can do. So you can be anxious about it or you can be enraged about it, but guess what, all you're doing is damaging your own immune system. So I have, it's a learned skill, it's not positive thinking, it's not mind over matter, it's simply a learned skill using different tools to lower your stress chemicals. So I would say I was, you know, upset for about a day, and then I went back to my tools that I use that I teach all my participants and clients and ex-patients. And by the way, I have a half hour open question answer period every weekday at noon for half an hour that anybody can call in on. And so I just answer questions and I mean, we, we've watched hundreds and hundreds of patients go to pain-free and it's the mental pain, what drops down is the anxiety. That's been the fun part. As people, I'll use the word stress chemicals drop, people begin to thrive because they're not fighting this relentless feeling of anxiety. Again, if you try to do it psychologically, the unconscious brain processes about 20 million bits of information per second. The conscious brain processes 40. It's 11 million to 40 ratio. And so you're not going to beat this thing. So by learning to assimilate anxiety into your day to day life, what you've done is that you allows yourself to live life pretty freely, including dealing with a pandemic that I can't control.
1: It seems like it's creating. Uh, it's, uh, it sounds it sounds like a catch twenty two here. Like it's creating stress because of all the, um, you know, precautions we're having to take, all all the hysteria we're hearing on on the news. You know, we get one idea, you know, they give you one idea how to deal, and then that's you know defunct by the next day. Right. I'm, I'm sure people feel pretty out of control at this point. Well, here's
5: the other problem, that's really a huge problem. So we know that there's a certain amount of domestic violence in the country which I think is unacceptable, but it is there. People ask, well, why is there domestic violence ever? I mean, you love your family. Why do you abuse them? Well, the problem is your families are your deepest triggers. So it's ironic. We all need social connection. The deeper the connection, the better. But the deeper the connection, the bigger the triggers. So that's why domestic violence occurs in the first place. All this can be magnified dramatically. And I work with Dr. Stephen Portis, who wrote a book called The Polyvagal Theory, and he spent four years of research looking at the connection between stress and, and the autonomic nervous system. And humans evolve language and and connect they, they evolve through connection with other people.
1: We're, we're going so- to we're going to have to take a commercial break, but this okay. is really going in a nice direction. I'd like to pick up on the other side. Sure. It is time for that break. However, Dr. Hanscom and I will return shortly. Don't you go away. You're listening to Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
4: Are you
0: looking for psychic services that empower as well as provide accurate information? Jenny is a third generation psychic with extensive esoteric training. A practicing professional intuitive for over 30 years, her accuracy is astounding. While most psychics can read what will happen to you if you don't change directions, Jenny understands the future is subjective. While there is a river of time we all traverse, that river has many waves, eddies, currents, and tributaries from which to choose. With Jenny as your guide, you can explore the many possible outcomes in the river of time and navigate your course to the one of your liking. Take control of your future. Book your life-changing session with Jenny today at www.gen-e.net. That's www.gen-e.net.
3: In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives, it links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com.
1: again. This is Mission Evolution, evolution missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To all our faithful and thoughtful listeners, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about the worldwide impact of the coronavirus? This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled Evolution Through Innovation and Creative Thinking. M.M. states, I love the tips your guest gave on how to entertain even wild ideas and not judge any ideas you come up with. I followed his suggestions and already had great success finding new innovative solutions. Thanks for your input, MM. If ever there were a time for new innovative solutions, this would be it. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org. Listen to the episode entitled Evolution Through Innovation and Creative Thinking and let us know what you think. Email me at info at and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. With us this hour discussing his experience surviving the coronavirus is Dr. David Hanscom. His website, backincontrol.com. Dr. Hanscom, we were about to go into triggers and uh, with people being, you know, locked into a house with people right. they're closest to that tend to be the ones that trigger them the most deeply. What are we seeing there?
5: This is probably one of the most intense topics for me. I was raised in an abusive background. My parents' role was to nurture me and, and help keep me safe. The essence of solving chronic pain, by the way, is staying safe. So when you're triggered, what happens is that something in the present reminds you something in the past that was dangerous. In other words, that's how all creatures survive: is that they look at their environment, they avoid danger, they gravitate towards rewards. So when there's a threat, either a real threat or a perceived threat, your body says danger. You should create adrenaline, cortisol, histamines, cytokines, all different inflammatory chemicals. And what it does, it helps protect yourself and increases your chances of your survival. So we call those triggers. Anytime, anytime you're anxious or upset, you're being triggered. It's not rational. And we all know if you get into an argument, nothing ever gets solved, Right because it's not rational. It's the unconscious brain saying danger. So the first thing I do to my patients and clients is say, look, get rid of the word anxiety out of your vocabulary and just visualize a large thermometer and say, look, my stress chemicals are elevated. Just visualize how elevated they are. Then the way you solve the problem, you simply decrease your stress chemicals. And there's many ways of doing that. But remember, the conscious brain is 11 million to 40 as far as the mismatch of the unconscious, the conscious brain. So it's not rational. It's not your consciousness. Anx- anxiety is what you have to survive. It's not who you are. It's an amoral, sociopathic survival response. And once you separate this response and watch how it works, and, and again, you can use it to your favor, then your conscious brain is who you are. It allows it to thrive.
1: I understand that uh, depending on, just like a muscle, depending on where you spend most of your time, that part of your brain actually develops. Absolutely. So if you use these tools to stay more in the conscious brain versus the fight or flight, it's going to start evening out the odds as to what uh, portion of your brain works?
5: Right. And I I wanted off topic here just for a second, but going back to Dr. Stephen Portis, who wrote the Polyvagal Theory, humans evolved through language. So what happens, the vagus nerve, which controls the autonomic nervous system, including the inflammatory immune system, is connected right to the facial muscles, the neck muscles, the eye muscles. And so if I meet you on the street, every human being is looking at another human being as safe or dangerous. Unfortunately, the coronavirus also in that whole process has changed dramatically, right? Because everybody is potentially dangerous. So instead of being able to relax and enjoy people around you, there's always that level of suspicion that wasn't there before, right? Ooh,
1: do that masks also add to that? You can't see expressions.
5: Right, exactly. So, uh. so and the second thing is we connected through social connection. The deeper the connection, the better. Unfortunately, the deeper the triggers. But what he points out, when you're socially isolated, you are dysregulating the autonomic nervous system, so you have these chemical surges of, of all these stress chemicals. That's why people behave badly because they're dealing with these massive chemical surges that are about your survival, not about other people's survival. And so what happens, it takes the parasympathetic nervous system mod, to modulate your survival reaction in order, to, in order for us to safely socially engage. And so the problem is, and, and I have a paper <laughs> which I, you know, I write lots of articles. I wrote an article about my coronavirus experience My wife actually asked me not to publish this next patient because there's very deep data on the long-term PTSD effects on the people's interaction in developing PTSD. And I always wonder, my father went through the the Great Depression and they had to move to a farm. They barely survived. It changed his entire life. He and my mother became hoarders Mm -hmm. and it's a big problem. What I'm upset about right now in the news is that I've written very clearly, and I still feel strongly about this, that that not only do we have a quarantine, we don't have a specific defined endpoint on when this is going to end, right?
1: Right. I don't think anybody knows.
5: Well, we can. There are some ways to do this. And the two ways is one of them, like myself, I'm free. I'm perfectly safe. I have tested positive. I've been cleared by the state health department that I'm fine. I can go into the workforce. I could go into the com- go into the world. I'm not shedding the virus. I'm not gonna get the virus. I'm aware that there's a lot of debate about the degree of immunity that I have, but I have a high chance of having a pretty good immunity. And I'm more than willing to take my chances right now. And of course what's happened, we're creating this mass hysteria that people want just no chance of getting the infection. Unless I get in my car saying there should be no chance of a car accident. It doesn't work that way. So we're creating this really abnormal Thinking about this virus, it's like every surface we're going to catch it just by looking at somebody, and we're developing a hysteria that, unfortunately, paradoxically, reduces your capacity to fight the infection. Right.
1: Exactly. So we're being. So, I have a, a quick quick question here. There have been some reports of people that tested positive, went through the virus, got well, tested negative, and then came back and tested positive again and started becoming symptomatic. Um, what, what, what's with that?
5: Well, it's an RNA virus. It does mutate. So I get it. I mean, there's a case you hear that all of a sudden it's one in what, a thousand or less, maybe one in 500. But I'm saying I have a reasonable chance of immunity. I'm not guaranteed immunity, right? But if I don't get out into society, there will be never be an end to this pandemic. And we should never go out of the house ever for anything, right? So, of course, there's nothing's 100%. So, But having the virus in recovery and moving forward is a huge step. So my chances are much higher than if I didn't have the virus and recovered, right? And so life is an odds game. And again, anxiety. The other thing I want to point out, going way back to the conversation, if you notice what your anxiety is like before the epidemic is that I wrote a website post called Your Personal Brain Scanner. Your brain is designed to look for danger no matter what. So if you're having a nice day walking on the lake, people worry about the kids at school or worry about politics or worry about dying or whatever, so your brain is designed to worry. That's what it's supposed to do, right? I call it your personal brain scanner. So now that you have a very obvious focus to focus on with the pandemic, where the pandemic goes away, guess what? You'll still go back to your same pattern of worrying. Of course, it's magnified because the consequences of this are higher. But as you well know, and I don't get too philosophical here, one of the greatest meditations in life is actually meditating on your own death. In other words, are all going to die. A lot of people are paranoid about dying. And so they have meditations where actually people go to morgues and meditate on a dead body, realizing that's where they're going to go. You can't really live your life unless you are comfortable with not living your life. Because if you're worried about something that hasn't happened yet, and we know that dying is inevitable, and again, I'm all for the quarantine, I'm not saying we should accelerate the process at all, I'm not into dying personally. But it, that's the process. You got to be okay with bad things happening because if you're always worried about bad things, then you actually can't really enjoy the good things in life. So going back to your comment about the immunity, no, it's not hundred percent. But again, I would never go out in my car and drive. I would never go hiking in the mountains because people die falling off, you know, pathways and trails and I would never go snow skiing. So there's always risk in everything that we do. That's what I'm upset about is that the media is creating such a hype. And, we're so, and it is a bad disease. I mean, I one of our best friend's daughter was a chief resident in Bellevue Hospital who she herself just tested for the coronavirus. And she's watching people die literally in front of her every day, multiple times a day. It's a horrible disease. I'm not downplaying that at all. I'm all for the quarantine. I'm all for the lockdown. But we have to define how to get out of it. So the two ways to get out of it is when testing positive and developing a reasonable immunity or the antibody testing. And again, that's all... It's not gonna be so hard to this antibody testing now because it's quick testing. There's lots of companies to do it. So the better I mean, answer would is you,
1: would you describe what is antibody testing?
5: So it's a blood test, and when you have any infection, the infection is called the antigen. And then mm-hmm. your body has a immune response, whether there's certain types of cells that give different responses to bacteria versus viruses. But what happens is that your body mounts an immune response in the in the form of antibodies which attach to the virus and destroy it or attach to bacteria and destroy it. So what you're doing is you develop the immunity to this virus. Then when the new virus comes in and somebody reinfects me, so to speak, my immune system will attack it and destroy it.
1: Okay, so there is uh, is testing that can say if you've already had the virus?
5: Correct. and and that's, oh, that's still, wonderful, yeah. That's within okay. a couple of weeks, that should be out on a pretty widespread basis. And I've been an advocate from day one that everybody in the country should be tested. So if we're going to take trillions of dollars out of the economy, we should have put billions of dollars into the testing. Because the only reason I am safe is because I was tested, right? So if I had been sick, resolved it, I wouldn't know for sure it was a COVID virus or the flu.
1: Well, we're going to have to go back into testing on the other side of a quick break. But I think this is fascinating. It's like giving us hope here. So um, Dr. Hanscom and I will return to our discussion shortly. So you folks stay right there. This is the Mission Evolution. We're coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net.
0: For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exonradiotv.com, or www.exontvchannel.com, or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next, we meet here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light.
1: Memorable dynamic presentations are a not-so-secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hyde can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit iconquality.com. Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire Leading Edge Information packed episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. Our special guest this hour is Dr. David Hanscom. We're speaking about his thoughts on uh, COVID-19 from a survivor's perspective as well as that of a physician. His website, backincontrol.com. We were just starting to get into um, testing, and there, you know, I, what I kind of like to look at here is we're kind of in a catch-22. On one side, people need to take this seriously. I mean, it's, it's a serious business, and we need to take all the precautions. Right. And on the other side the people are trying to encourage us to take it seriously is isn't that causing hype and hysteria in a certain way so people are attaching onto the virus as something to to project their stress and their the angst onto and that drops our immune system so how can testing help with that
5: okay so what happens they're using using the hysteria to scare people into complying right that's sort of the human way of doing things Right. Mm -hmm. So what happens, people, I am over my years of practicing medicine. um, I feel that most people by far and away, the vast, vast majority of people are well-intentioned and want to thrive. They want other people to to thrive. So I don't think it enforces as much as giving clarity. So people say, okay, look, this is a bad disease. So education's number one, understand how bad the disease is, understand how contagious it is, but don't keep beating the drum of just sort of brow baiting people into complying, because what you also have to do is define how you get out of the cage. So Italy and Germany, and, and probably a few of the countries now are discussing the idea of if somebody tests positive the antibodies, in other words, you have developed a reasonable chance of immunity. And again, there's still to be defined how accurate is going to be. But the way you get out of the cage, and this has to happen. I mean, people talk about future shock. We did not have this technology with the Spanish flu. Okay, so we have the technology now to actually see the antibodies in your blood, that's your reasonable chance of immunity. So on the news, I think it's fine to put on the new deaths, new cases, the case versus recovery group. But what they're not doing is that half the people are symptomatic. They have an immunity. They should be out in, in the economy and practicing. So the only way you do that is with widespread testing. So whatever money you spend to do testing on literally everybody, allows a group of people to get back out into into society and actually function. Because you know, so,
1: right now we're just on lockdown and nobody knows <laughs> you know, when they're going back and the economy's not doing well because of it.
5: Right, and there's two bigger problems here. First, Well, three bigger problems. The first one is that the, and, and this is a topic of a different show, but again, we dysregulate the autonomic nervous system with social isolation, it's a huge problem. There's going to be lots of bad behavior. And of course, people get desperate and they have to do things to survive. So you can't blame them. But it's not based on rational motives. It's based on these survival chemicals saying, I got to survive. And so bad things are going to happen. Even people that weren't remotely consider doing bad things are going to do bad things. That's just the way it's going to be. So that's a major issue. Second of all, the PTSD you induce is actually a long-term problem that's going to affect our society for a long time, including your kids, including kids at school. So the shockwave through the economy, through the societal PTSD is huge. But what they're doing, so but the problem is that right now you have states that are not locking down. You've got entire countries like Brazil that are not locking down. This virus is going to be in the world for a very long time because we it's way past containment. And that's what's upsetting to me about the news right now is that we sort of imply by really locking down, we're going to contain this thing. Over three-fourths of us are going to test positive for the virus at some point. It's in the population, just like the common cold. It's a cold virus gone sour, right? So we know almost everybody's going to test positive. We're trying to flatten the curve. And then once the flat curve is flattened, what do you do then? Because there's not going to be an endpoint. It's never going to be 100%. So by having so much travel in the world with whole countries not even shutting down, this virus is gonna be with us a long time. But the other problem, which is even a bigger problem, this is what's called an RNA virus, which means it mutates. And we don't really know the data about how much it mutates. I don't assume that right now I have immunity for this phase of the virus. But just like next, just like the flu, every year there's a different strain of flu that comes through, right? And when you get a flu shot, it's a best guess against the flu, but it's not 100%. Same thing with this virus, is that next fall, if this thing happens again, my immunity may be there, maybe not, maybe I need further testing, but the virus mutates. And with HIV, we never did get a vaccine for the virus because it changes. Now with polio and measles and stuff like that, that's a DNA virus, hepatitis, that's a DNA virus that is stable and once you get vaccinated, there is immunity. And I was on the tail end of the polio epidemic as a resident because I dealt with people with major, major orthopedic problems who were being paralyzed by polio. It's a horrible, horrible thing. So right now with the RNA virus that people are hanging their hopes in a vaccine, again, there may be a whole other level of technology that I'm not aware of. I'm not a virologist. Um, I'm not pretending to be a coronavirus expert. I don't want people to, to think that. But I have taken care, sick, taken care of sick patients for a long time with major spine surgery. We have people going into pulmonary failure with this, what's called ARDS, which, which is killing people now. And so it's a big problem. So as far as the actual immunity, I'm not the expert on that, but I'm saying the only way you get people out into society is you give them a reasonable chance at immunity and get them back out into the world. And that has to happen and it has to happen quickly because there's, otherwise there's no end to this pandemic.
1: Yeah, because from what you're telling me, um, we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner. We've got everybody locked away, you know, which is, you know, we don't want to just put people out there and risk right. them. And you know, right. <laughs> who do, who do you put out there as a sacrificial lamb? And at the same right. time, there isn't a solution in that approach, is there?
5: There is not. But the problem is, the solution is so clearly defined right now. I mean, we have the technology, and I think the government's finally changed its tune. But about three years ago, they said, well. Testings indicated only for severe cases. That was never true. What they should have said look, widespread testing is necessary, but we don't have the equipment because we're not prepared. And we all know now in the papers that in January, the administration knew that this was going to be a huge, major problem and they ignored it. So that cat's out of the bag. I don't want to spend a lot of time bemoaning the past. My personal work as far as my immune system, and again, I, you mentioned he had a question about how do we take care of ourselves is the bottom line is you are going to get, there's a 75% chance you will test positive for the COVID virus sometime this next year. That's going to happen, okay? So you got to get your head around that, number one. You're not going to avoid this thing. And so you don't want to develop a phobia about it. But what you can do is take care of your own immune system. And what doesn't work is positive thinking. In other words, you you have irrational anxiety. That's fine. It is what it is. But you can't suppress it. So there's a bunch of techniques to actually literally lower your stress chemicals. First of all, first of all understanding that stress isn't the problem, it's a chemical reaction to it. Paradoxically, the more legitimate your anxiety, the more of an effect it has on, a, on your immune system in a negative way. So the I've basic- I've a quick
1: question for you. Sure. If, if, if the anxiety and knowing you're anxious and all that has, you know, raises the chemicals and, and compromises your immune system, what does denial do? Because that seems to be the other choice here, is going into total denial. It's worse
5: because we know when you suppress thoughts or concepts that it actually cranks up your body chemistry even more. In other words, we so we know that thoughts, that unpleasant threatening thoughts create the same chemical reaction in the brain and the body that a physical threat does. But since you can't escape your thoughts, every human being is subjected to elevated stress chemicals unless you use the tools to separate from your thoughts and actually lower your stress chemicals. The key issue here is take care of your own new system it's not about positive thinking. It's about a positive outlook. And we can talk about this in the next segment about the actual concrete solutions to actually take care of your own immune system. So you're going to be exposed. I, I'm not thrilled I got tested positive, but it was pretty much inevitable. I'm delighted that I got through it relatively easily, and I now have immunity. But I'm telling you, the feeling I have with a positive test and being cleared is incredible. I, I feel like I got let out of jail, and I did. I'm free. So right there, there's a huge boost to my immune system, right? So again, the essence of healing chronic pain, again, mental pain is the bigger problem, is feeling safe. And feeling safe is not a psychological term. That means your body is full of oxytocin, the love drug, dopamine rewards, um, serotonin, the antidepressant, and the GABA drugs, which are anti-anxiety. So when your body's full of that chemical bath, everything functions better and you heal and you thrive. So being safe is not a psychological term. Again, it's a physiological term, just like anxiety is a physiological response, not psychological.
1: Would you happen to know how long this virus has been around? Um, I I don't think it just came up in January. Um, Have you heard how long it's been there?
5: You know, again, I I can't really talk with expertise on that. I I, I know pretty much what a real says, reading in the news, so I honestly have no opinion on that.
1: Okay, because it seems to me like um, some people might have already had it before it became a thing, if you know what I mean.
5: Well, I mean, a friend of mine, a physician, pointed out that on these cruise ships where they literally tested everybody, that literally 50% of the cases are asymptomatic. So, I mean, it been around for a long time. And so, again, I think that people have to understand, this is like the common cold virus, is a coronavirus that you're gonna, be, you're gonna test positive. And so, again, the best thing you can do by far and away is to nurture your own immune system, which is, again, not positive thinking, not denial, but actually going through the specific tools that actually lower your stress chemicals.
1: It's its a huge time for that because it's the only weapon we have really. Right. Is—is is And it always has been.
5: And it's I, a good I, I it's, believe it's, it's, it, This is yeah. not a theoretical weapon. This is actually a very strong weapon. So you asked me a question, do I think my tools to actually help fight off the virus? I think so, yes, but in my case of once, I'm not gonna you know, tell the world that this is the way to do it, but I will tell statistically, we do know in the HIV epidemic, there's a book out called "Opening Up by Writing It Down," talking about expressive writing. They found out with the HIV epidemic that the expressive writing actually lowered the viral load. It actually changed the immune system. actually lowered the viral load. So again, it's not psychologically; you just lower the body stress chemicals, which allows your immune system to thrive. Being paralyzed okay. by fear does the opposite
1: doesn't help. We're about to go into our break, but in the last segment, I would really love to have you share with us some tools that we can use to bring up our immunity. Dr. Hanscom and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.missionevolution.org.
2: S-I-M-U-L-T-V dot Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a Simultv.com UFO last night Oh yeah? Yeah, now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep My great-grandmother was standing there She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about Simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me S-I-M-U-L-T-V dot com, sonny boy S-I-M-U-L-T-V dot com S-I-M-U-L-T-V sonny boy Wow yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com SIMULTV.com
3: In the mid-1990s, I was approached by a young woman who believed she'd been abducted by alien creatures. In conversations, I began a journey that took me not into the world of interstellar travel, but back through time into past lives. Under hypnotic regression administered by a professional rather than describing abduction, Jenny, as she is called, begins to tell a tale of horror in 19th century London. Her unbelievable past life seems to connect with Jack the Ripper and other monsters of the past. Throughout the session, Jenny provides a rich detail of her past lives that links some of the most horrific killers in history to one another. Using the resources of a university library in the pre-internet day, I was able to verify some of Jenny's claims. She has knowledge that wasn't readily available to a suburban housewife. Does this prove the reality of her tales? Conversations attempts to answer that and other provocative questions. Conversations is available at Amazon.com.
1: Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are very important to me. To suggest a topic or a guest that you think would be of interest, email us info at missionevolution.org. Speaking of gifted people of service to the world, this hour we're sharing thoughts with coronavirus virus survivor Dr. David Hanscom. His website back in backincontrol.com. Dr. Hanscom, You know, it seems like we've gotten so reliant on the medical system and we, you know, we don't take care of ourselves and our best immunity, our best ability to thrive is this body, this avatar that we live in. It's designed to exist. It's designed to thrive. How can we bring back our natural ability to, um, you know, beat
5: disease? The essence of solving chronic pain, i.e., the mental pain, i.e., in the form of anxiety, is actually taking control of your own care. In other words, you feel safe, and so it's basically connecting to your own capacity to heal. Okay, so that's the key: you connect your own capacity to heal. And this is not theoretical; this is proven with deep, deep research. And I like to talk about one tool called expressive writing. It's been documented in over 1,000 research papers. That expressive writing has a dramatic effect both on your mental and physical health. It actually has more effect on your physical health than your mental health. And they found out that academic performance, um, sense of well being, depression, anxiety, even wound healing, asthma, rheumatoid arthritis, all improve with what's called expressive writing. There's many forms of it, but the starting point that I advocate for my patients is simply write down your thoughts and tear them up. And what you're doing, you can't control your thoughts, but you're separating from them. And so we have people tear them up so they don't analyze them because if your attention's on the thoughts, you're actually reinforcing them. Remember, you can't separate from your thoughts. But you, I'm sorry, you can't control your thoughts, but you can separate from them. So expressive learning is number one. Number two is called neuroplasticity, where your brain changes every second. We thought in medical school that it was a static structure. It changes every second. And there's 80 billion, 80 billion neurons in the brain. Each one of those neurons has 10,000 connections to the neuron next to it. It's an incredible number of connections, and it changes every second. So what you're doing is called neuroplasticity, which involves awareness separation, and then reprogramming your brain to where you want it to go. So the expressive brain does awareness and separation in one move, but a really simple tool to redirect your brain is actually just, I call it active meditation. You just take three to five seconds and just feel the back of your chair and take a deep breath. That's it. And what you're doing, you're switching from racing thoughts to a different sensation. Taste your food, feel the breeze, feel the table. Whatever you're doing, just simply switch sensations. The, th- the f- third thing is sleep. Is uh, Chapter 14 of my book talks only about sleep. And what we found out that nothing in the entire process really works without adequate sleep. And there's about eight things you can do on your own without medication to actually improve sleep. If you can't sleep, see your doctor. You have to sleep because it has a dramatic effect both on your pain perception, the actual feeling of the pain, but also your coping skills, but also your immune system makes a dramatic difference. So sleep is huge. And I would say that I I let myself sleep a lot during my coronavirus phase. And the final one, which is very powerful, which is sort of paradoxical, and we we learned this through our workshops, that if you were in my office right now, say, look, Guilda, when you walk out of my office, you will never discuss your pain ever again, ever except with your healthcare providers, because people in chronic pain discuss their pain all the time, such as I did in my own chronic pain experience. It's understandable because you're suffering. Nobody really believes you. You're on this endless quest for a cure. But when you complain and talk about your pain, your attention's on the pain circuits, which reinforces it. So remember, neuroplasticity is redirecting. And so remember, it's awareness separation and redirecting. So the, the not discussing your pain includes no complaining, no giving unasked for advice, no criticism, no gossiping. And in other words, be nice. In other words, your brain's gonna develop wherever it places its attention. So again, you want to decide, what do you want your life to look like? Where do you want to go? And so that's, interestingly enough, one of the hardest parts of the process, like with your children, you're always giving advice, stop it, just listen. And so it's a really huge paradigm shift, but that has been one of the most powerful parts of the process. The final corollary of that is I don't watch the news. I watch I watch the news about 20 to 30 minutes a day, that's it. And I've said this for years even before the coronavirus epidemic is turn off the news, don't watch the news. So give yourself a certain amount of time either to read the paper and watch the news enough to actually know what's going on and then just stop and read a book, take a while. put your brain on things that are enjoyable because again, what you're doing, you're learning tools to reg- regulate your own body's chemistry from a stress profile to a calm profile, and it's not positive thinking, it's not mind over matter, it's some some belief system in David Hanscom's process, these are just tools that are well documented to be effective, and really the neuroplasticity literature is now replete with ways to do this, and I just mentioned a couple things.
1: Well, you know, the uh, one thing that I'd like to, and I I don't know where you stand on this, but um, I'm... I'm fairly sensitive person and I work with a lot of sensitive people. And it seems like, you know, you were talking about the neurons, how they, you know, affect each other in in your personal brain. What about the collective? How much how is this worldwide panic affecting people? I mean, is is a lot of what we're feeling not even our own?
5: So I think this is a huge opportunity for the world to heal. So it's called mirror neurons. And I've talked to Bruce Lipton, who talks about the collective consciousness in quantum physics. So it's a process called mirror neurons that if I start to laugh, you'll start to laugh. And it's not psychological. You're directly stimulating the next person's brain. And I just wrote a website post about never walking the front door of your house angry because it's like pulling a dark cloud into the house. So what you're doing is stimulating the negative parts of your family's brain. And at some point on, on another broadcast, I'd love to talk about the family dynamics because that's a huge factor in pain in general and the biggest factor pulling people out of pain. It's also magnified, of course, in the course of this coronavirus epidemic, but it's called mirror neurons and it's a direct stimulation of that part of other people's brains. So that's the other problem we're getting into. That person on the TV that's yelling at you about the danger of the coronavirus is actually stimulating part of your brain that's very negative and you can't fight it. It's there. And again, positive thinking, I'm going to do fine, everything's okay, that doesn't work.
1: That's denial, right? Which is, as uh, you just it, said it earlier, works. is is worse. <laughs> yes. It's worse, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how can we, which do you think is the quickest way to come out of that You know, place where you're broadcasting terror and being part of the problem to being able to broadcast calm and love and be part of the solution? What's the most useful tool to uh, make that switch?
5: Well, again, the one it's been documented, and we're a thousand research papers to be effective is a, is expressive writing, simple tool. And then I'm, you don't intentionally believe David Hanscom. I mean, you can't. I tell my patients, look, you don't have to believe one word I said. This is not some belief system. Says so if you think that what I'm saying is just nonsense, write it down. Just write. So it's connecting with what is in your body and letting your. You have to be aware of what is before you change it. So as one of my patients pointed out, Lily suspend disbelief and just do it. So, the website is backincontrol.com. There's four stages. The final stage, by the way, is the spiritual journey of getting that perspective back. Is that when you're stuck in the circuits of pain and anxiety while you're just surviving, and a long way from the pain circuits is giving back, helping other people out, the spiritual journey, getting organized. Those are things that you create the life that you want. That's where your brain's going to develop.
1: So, it goes back to the neuroplasticity. Right. The more time you spend in your um, logical brain or your compassion, uh, the stronger it becomes. Correct. Do you find that it gets easier to self-correct when you start to go into the fight or flight um, if you have these tools and consistently use them?
5: Right, absolutely. Um, It's a learned skill. I go into the fight or flight mode probably seven to 10 times per day. And so by being aware that I'm in that as a first step, then I'm becoming much more skilled at the tools that come out of it. I wrote a website post called Failing Well. So the goal is not this peace of mind forever. The goal is become aware when you're in a pattern, anxious or frustrated, then you create the space and then redirect. And a lot of it becomes automatic. But no, the tools definitely improve with time. Plus your brain physically changes. I mean, neuroplasticity is the real deal. We actually can see in research MRI scans about how the amygdala shrinks or grows, how different parts of the brain either enlarge or don't. We know that chronic back pain switches from the pain center to the emotional center in about six to 12 months. So you have the same back pain, but a different driver. So neuroplasticity is the real deal.
1: It's fascinating. You know, What do you, we're just about out of time here, but what do you see as the hidden gifts of the coronavirus and the resulting impact on our lives? Society
5: has to figure out that anxiety is physiological, not psychological. The antidote to anxiety is control. When you lose control, you become angry. And right now, even before the virus, we have a very anxious, reactive society, is because medicine has missed this one. The neuroscience is right there saying, this is the problem. This is not something I made up. It's right there. And mainstream medicine has just missed it. So we have to get this concept out in society that stress is not psychological, it's a chemical response. The way you heal is you connect to your own healing capacity, which allows you to re- regulate your body's chemistry. And again, stress is not psychological. It's just a physiological response to a threat. So if that measures, I think this is a human survival problem, getting that diagnosis right, even before the the epidemic started.
1: We really need to turn around the way we're looking at this whole thing, don't we?
5: Absolutely. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Dr. Hanscom, it has been wonderful, as always, having you on the show. And I look forward to doing it again sometime in the future.
5: Thank you very much. I enjoy sharing my views.
1: Our guest this hour has been Dr. David Hanscom, an orthopedic surgeon focused on helping people become pain-free without surgery or medication. He's also the author of Do You Really Need Spine Surgery? and of Back in Control, A Surgeon's Roadmap Out of Chronic Pain. Dr. Hanscom tested positive for COVID-19 last month and was kind enough to come on the show and share his experiences. I hope all of you find comfort and uh, joy in the wonderful message that he did bring. His website, where he has more information, is backincontrol.com. That's www.backincontrol.com. Remember, our entire information pack episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Willa on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.exxbn.net. Join us next time as this min- mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support to an evolving world. Be safe. Stay in love and stayed well.